Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 32 of the Embers Collective podcast. It's been a little while since you've heard from us, hasn't it? This time round, we have the one and only Sam Ricks telling the story of the great god Pan with musical accompaniment by Tim Carp. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. A long time ago, when the world was a lot newer than it is today, but still old enough to remain a mystery, the great god Pan still walked round the earth, making sure that everything was okay. It was a lot of responsibility, being an ethereal being. First you had to create everything, make a universe out of nothing, with a perfectly positioned sun, moon and stars, and then a world which was structurally correct, filled with everything it could possibly need and still be aesthetically pleasing from any angle. Then you had to put animals on there, enough to fill the oceans, lands and skies, but not too much of anything in case one started eating all the others. And then, on top of that, there was people. Don't get her started on people. It seemed like a good idea to have these beings of endless imagination on the planet. But they just made everything so much more complicated than it needed to be. Just when it seemed like they were really getting somewhere, they managed to find a way of ruining it. Like when Tracy made fire for the first time. Genius. A huge step in evolution. Cooking food, staying warm, but oh no. Tracy decided to burn the forest down. For the lols. Or Dave with the tools. When he first started using that bit of rock to crack open a nut, it was so exciting. Think of all the things that could be achieved and all the places this would take them. And then the next day, Dave goes and smashes the rock into Barry's face because Barry looked at him funny. The list goes on. She tried talking to her husband about it, but he'd just say, You're too soft, Pam. Why don't you just wipe them all out and start again, like you did with them big lizards? She had come close several times to wiping them all out, but then the humans would do something wonderful, like painting on caves or using the plants she'd put there to heal them or start telling wild stories about how everything came to be and, although very, very wrong, were thoroughly entertaining and it would make her heart melt. The dinosaurs had been a huge mistake. She should have seen that from the Triassic, but what's done is done. Complex, baffling, self-centred as they were, humans, they were different. And she wasn't going to give up on them yet. Progress, not perfection, she would say to herself over and over again, sometimes through gritted teeth. And Mr Pan would just shrug, settling back into his ethereal armchair and turning on the telly. He wasn't really that interested in her world. He just liked watching Heavenly Homes under the hammer. And so, as a way of progressing this narrative and human evolution along, the great god Pan decided to give these humans a gift. Each of them would get an individual skill that was theirs alone and would be of benefit to all the rest. There wasn't as many people back then, so it was a lot easier. She thought it would bring them closer together, make them see that they needed to cooperate more. And she had a lot of fun, coming up with all the wonderful things that people could do. And the next day, she slung them in her bag and went to the humans and gave them their talents. You can have cooking. You're going to heal people. I've got you, chemistry. Don't know what it is yet? Don't worry. You'll work it out. Woodworking, fishing, 
farming, midwife, building, painting, hunting, crafting. One by one she handed them all out, until her bag was empty and the sun was setting. Satisfied that everyone had what they needed, she told them to use these skills well and look after each other, before slinging her bag over her shoulder and heading off. Everyone was so pleased with their new skills. Everyone, that is, except for Steve. You see, Steve was a bit shy and very good at blending into the background. He wanted to be noticed. He wanted to have his say. But for some reason, whenever he tried to, he just, he'd clam up. His mouth would go dry and no words would come out. And so, when all the gifts were being handed out, Steve had stood at the back and waited and waited until the great god Pan had asked if everyone had one and they'd all said yes and he'd wanted more than anything to speak up but he just couldn't. As the days went by, the people marvelled at all the things they could do. The things they were contributing and helping each other with. Everyone had their place, commanded respect, felt valued and needed. But not Steve. Steve just sort of sat there, watching, worrying. No one asked him to do anything. No one seemed to notice he was there. Whilst everyone else was excelling, he was stagnant. And as everyone's talents made society bigger and bigger, Steve's world became smaller and smaller. Eventually, he had enough and realised that he was going to have to do something. And so he took himself off to find the great god Pan and ask for a talent. Stood outside her door, because you could call on gods back then, he summoned all of his courage and rang the bell. Mr Pan answered and looked down at Steve below his big round belly, barely covered by the string vest he always wore. What are you? asked Mr Pan. I'm a... I'm a Steve. Um, hi, is the great god Pan in? Mr Pan turned his head and yelled inside, Someone at the door for your love. Who is it? Calls itself a Steve. Come in! There was an awkward pause as God and man stood on the doorstep, staring at each other until the great god Pan came to the door, wiping her hands on an apron. Hello, Steve, she said, smiling. Everything all right, love? Hi, um, you know when you were handing out the, the gifts, I, um, I didn't get one. Oh, I am so sorry, Steve. I, I haven't got any left. I thought I had enough for you. Why didn't you speak up? Steve's face fell. I can't, he murmured. When I try, I... I just... I can't. The great god Pan looked at this shy little human on her doorstep. I tell you what, she said. Why don't I do you one now? Oh, would you? His face lit up. Of course. How about if you have trouble being heard? Well, how about I give you a voice that everyone just has to listen to? That would be amazing, said Steve. A voice so beautiful that everyone stops what they're doing. In fact, you won't speak. It'll be beyond speaking. The great god Pan began grabbing ingredients, getting carried away as she improvised on the spot. 
If I put equal parts sunrise and sunset, nostalgia, a crackling fire, the rumble of a mountain, sprinkle of stars, bit of love, few birds, some whiskey, yes, here we go. And she handed Steve his talent. And when he went to say thank you, a new sound burst from between his lips. The great god Pan smiled. You are a singer now, Steve. That's your gift. Go on, go and show the others. And Steve ran off, excited to show everyone what his new talent was. When he got back, it was dark, and everyone was assembled round the fire, tucking into some delicious food made by the cooks, and eating from some gorgeous bowls made by, well, the bowl makers. Steve went and stood in the middle. But they didn't. It was just Steve. I'll show you, he thought. And he threw his head back and burst into song. He didn't know what he was singing, he just knew how to make the noise coming out of his mouth sound really, really good. And as much as I would love to recreate that first song ever sung, I can't. You'll just have to imagine how utterly fantastic it was. All fresh and warm from a god's fingers. And although there were no words, everyone understood. And everyone just felt at home. They were spellbound. Stunned, open-mouthed, enraptured as Steve's song made them feel things that they didn't have words for. Who's that? A woman whispered to her friend. I don't know, but I am definitely going to have sex with him, she replied. And she did. And the next night, after Steve had sung, someone else did. And the night after that, and the night after that, and the night after that, and Steve transformed from the shy, nervous bloke into a celebrity. He started calling himself Stevie Wonderful and stopped engaging in the day-to-day -day tasks of everyone else. He was above that now and didn't need to help build or chop or hunt or farm. People just started doing things for him because whenever he sung, they would just fall madly in love with him. Soon, he'd got with every single woman in the group and whenever the men went round his grand hut to have a word, no one was sure exactly how it happened, but one minute you'd be angry with him, then he'd start singing and you'd be naked and suddenly you're having sex with him and you just couldn't really be angry with him because he was just so damn good at singing. After a year of this, they were exhausted. They were all sick and tired of having sex with Steve, night after night. His singing was just too damn good. And so they decided that enough was enough. And en masse, they went to call on the great god Pan, who'd been very quiet of late. They hammered on the door, and Mr Pan answered, raising an eyebrow at these strange things below his belly. We're here to see, yeah, yeah, I know. And when the great god Pan came to the door, the people told her, all about Stevie Wonderful and his perfect voice, and having to have sex with him all the time. I can't give you lot anything without there being an issue, can I? All right, then. And she marched off to find this sex-crazed singer. And there he was, lounging in the sun. Hello, babe. He smiled when he saw her. I'm not your babe, I'm your creator. What's all this about you becoming a prick? The people had followed and were gathering round, eager to see what would happen. Stevie Wonderful sneered at them. They're all just jealous because I'm special. I'm different. You're not special or different. You're Steve. How dare you? I'm an artist. I'm important. I'm everything to these people. And then the great god Pan snapped. She punched Steve right in his stomach, making
making him cough up his song. And then she grabbed it and snapped it and broke it into a million pieces. What are you doing? Steve spluttered. And then the great god Pan began slamming him into the floor whilst at the same time saying, You are a child of the universe no more or less than the trees and the stars. And with stars, she kicked Steve up into the air where he sailed through the sky and disappeared over the horizon. The great god Pan then turned to the assembled people and asked, Right, what have we learned today? The people all looked at each other and scratched their heads. Until eventually, one of them said, Um, if we get really, really good at something, then everyone will want to have sex with us. The others nodded in agreement. You know what? I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done with all of you lot. And with that, the great god Pan punched them all, one by one, straight in the stomach, where they coughed up their talons, and she took them, and she tore them up in front of them, scattering them all over the world. Ah, what? But I was a fabulous cook. I was a perfect builder. I was a magnificent accountant. You still can be. But now, if you want to get good at something, you're going to have to work at it. No one's going to give you anything. You'll have to find each little piece as you go along. And with that, the great god Pan stormed off into the distance. How are we meant to do that? The people called after her. But there was no answer. The great god Pan had left them. She went straight back home, packed her things, broke up with a very perplexed Mr Pan and left. Last I heard, she'd opened a bar in the Costa del Solar system. As for the people, well, they've been left to work it all out for themselves. And as far as I know, they're getting better, bit by bit. And although some people pretend to know what's going on and might even believe it and tell you that they have all the answers, you can be pretty sure that they don't. Because, and I do know this, no one has a clue what's going on. Thank you, Rixie. That was a beautiful story. Was that written by yourself? That was written by me. And the music that you heard accompanying it was by none other none other than Tim Carp. So th- thank you. Did you write all that by yourself as well? I did it all on my lonesome because um, I can't see anybody because of, you know, the thing. <laughs> yes, the thing. Yeah, it's quite interesting working remotely at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, normally... Um, if, if for those of you that don't know, we would record these sessions together um, as very much how we do our live shows where um, one of our great storytellers will be telling a tale and I will be performing live with them. And, and it's it, it's lovely because it's a, a real moment of connection between story and music and two people kind of creating a, a, an atmosphere together. Um, obviously, in this time... We can't do that. Um, we've tried. It doesn't work. So what happens now is that um, the storytellers will send me um, a recording of their story that they've perfected at home. And then I actually just sit in my studio and, and create the music from scratch, um, which is very different. And it has its benefits and it has its flaws. But generally, it's really fun to... It's nice to be able to go over stuff again. Normally, I wouldn't have the chance live. 
to live performance. Um, so I, I'm getting to explore different ideas for how to uh, underscore the stories. And yeah, it's, it's been quite enjoyable, actually. What Tim also does, if you were to come and see the show, um, is using a variety of loop pedals, is then able to create a multi-layered bed of sound, which the story kind of sits in, I always imagining it. Yeah, so the... I guess traditional storytelling would be all, all acoustic instruments. Um, so it was, so we've kind of, yeah, brought it to the modern day a little bit without sounding too twatty. Um, <laughs> uh, you're the Bob. Yeah, you're, the, loop, you're I, the Bob Dylan of uh, of, yeah. of sto- <laughs> yeah, storytelling story music. Yeah, we, we plugged just it plugged in. it in. <laughs> Judas, it. we looped it. We looped it. Uh, yeah, so I usually use loops because then I don't have to. Uh, deal with other musicians but sometimes you know we get other musicians and and it's it's very enjoyable as well yeah totally and and to me what's wonderful about it is is that it creates a uh, a really melodic sound design um for example when you're trying to paint the picture of a storm or or of a of a of a forest you can you can really create that in an impressionistic way with the music um and also What's wonderful with the use of microphones and other effects is that you can, as a storyteller, I can modulate my voice. I can go with what Tim's doing or vice versa. And it just, it creates a much more involved, um, like effect really of a, of a live performance. However, with the, with the, um, doing it in your studio, obviously you miss that interaction between me, uh, between you, other performer and audience, but would you say that as a result you're able to just really play around a lot more? I am, but that you, you're always going to miss that feeling of that person being next to you. Um, and I was actually going to ask you the same question for both of you: it, How is it doing it without music? It's um, from for me, it's it's very different, and um, because doing it with music has become such a large part of of the way that we tell stories and and has been such a large part of me as a storyteller like I find both when I do it live when I've performed live without music I I I feel very much like feel really naked feel like there's something missing I'm like huh like what do you mean there's just silence when I stop talking and it's (laughs) and there's no like there's no like lift and there's no like these bills coming into all the the key points and definitely recording it separately um without the music is is a very different experience um and it's one I think I'm still sort of getting used to and settling into, I think. Um, but I'm, I, you know, would, when we're, you know, I would much, I would, I think I would choose the, the live discussion between the music and the story. Um, yeah, over, over this way of working. Well, you've not heard what I've got to That's offer That's absolutely learning. true. That's absolutely true. I mean, maybe... <laughs> this will well as in i guess from my from my own sort of practice and and performance as a storyteller i I like the yeah it's 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 so it's so comforting like it's what it's it's what we do and what we have always done and i guess i maybe have become just super used to it and maybe it's a really good thing to try sharing these stories without music so i yeah sort of take you know ownership of the full journey and then the music becomes its own thing that's separate to that, but then they come together and create this collaborative piece. But there is, I find that there is a, an innate musicality to 
to storytelling. There's a rhythm to delivery, and there's there's a pitch and there's a tone to it, which there are you know there there are there are punctuated points in it, which is all part of the ebb and flow, as one would find with a song. That's what I definitely find. If you engage in any um, stand-up comedians, for example, like Billy Connolly um, is a wonderful storyteller, but there is such musicality and he's so full of life and bravado. Um, as a as a comedian, he's just he's very much a storyteller with, filled with jokes. However, if you watch someone else who like um, Stuart Lee, for example, with that, I'd say that, you know, there's a craft there, and there is a rhythm, and there is a um, definitely a, a melody being worked there. Where, um, you know, you know that if you hold that pause for that amount of time, then what you're going to say next is going to land even um, even more. You know, I know a guy who acts. He does the opposite. He does. He takes. Um, What's the guy who does uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm called? Larry David. Larry David. He's he's transcribed Larry David's uh, speech and and created music out of it in in the sense that he uses the the accents and the the tone and the length of time between each phrase. Wow. Hmm. So, Rixie, tell us about this story. Oh, um, yeah. Where did it come from, and who is Pan? Uh, well, this story came from my brain and the great god Pan is a an, a very old god, was the name of the god that created things, it was the god of nature and I kind of just needed a god that wasn't necessarily in use today. Um, to... <laughs> an, out, an out of work god. Yeah, just a kind of, wow, that's a good idea, where do all the gods go when no one believes in them? I think I think Neil Gaiman's already uh, covered that one. Really? Yeah, American Gods. Oh yeah. Do I have an engaged with that? Which I should do. It's probably right on my street. But that's all right. So yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to. I, to um, be honest, I I think you'd probably do a better job of it. Really? Oh, is this? Are we throwing down shade on Neil Gaiman? No, I think I'd because he out. listens to this. <laughs> he listen. He listens to this. Um. Do you hear that, Neil? Lonan thinks I'm better. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> what are you going to do? Oh, he's going to be devastated, isn't he? He's going to be absolutely <laughs> yeah, devastated. Absolutely. He's going to sit there in his big house with all of his money and be absolutely gutted yeah. that I said that. Yeah. Oh, a man under a duvet thinks I'm shit. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um so yeah I wanted, I needed a god that was kind of out of use and it's uh, it's an origin story but it's a it's a jokes origin story and I had this idea of because gods always tend to be really quite pleased with their worlds um and I quite like this idea of this great god Pan who is just I I like she just became this very put upon um woman very much modeled after my grandma rest in peace hence the northern accent and like the general the general way of being and like the no-nonsense approach to all of these irritating things and I like this idea of someone just making um the world as we do and making this thing but no one really appreciating what they've done at all at no point does anyone turn around and say thank you so much for giving us all of this and even her husband just sits there uninterested um, in what she's doing. 
Uh, and I think having gratitude for, you know, the universe is a is a very underrated thing. Um, and I just th- thought that was a really funny thing to play with. And it's that idea that that it, it kind it so you know when she gives everyone the, she gives everyone the talents um, and then gets so fed up with them that she rips them up and throws them up into the sky. It came that idea came from this quote, and I can't remember who said it, but it's by a French guy, and he says that um, yes, every single thing has been said before, but no one was listening, so you've got to say it all again. And it's that idea where we know this stuff, but we have to keep relearning and relearning and relearning. And we're kind of piecing what it is to be alive bit by bit, inch by inch um, together. And maybe we probably won't ever get there, but it's that idea of we are just constant progress, not perfection. Hmm. We're always trying to just gather up those little bits of human experiences and and learning to try to put together something that resembles a whole piece, I guess. That's what I sort of gathered from her tearing all those bits up. Um, something I've, I've noticed with your stories is quite often there are these unassuming um, characters who go on to be very significant or they can either be heroes, like your story, Steve, the accidental hero, or Fenton. And in this story, we've got Steve, who who has, you know, is unable to speak up for themselves and unable to say anything, but then becomes this really key central character. Is that something that you consciously try to do? Like you bring in a very, very human element into these um, these stories. Is that something you consciously do, or or is it sort of by accident? Um, I think that. It was by accident, but now that you've brought it up, I'm going to say that I consciously do it <laughs> because it makes me sound better. But no, um, it I, I just, I find it more, for me, it's more amusing and more, that gives you more to play with if someone is reluctant or not very good at being a hero or is kind of put into doing it when they don't really want to do it. There's this wonderful Kurt Vonnegut quote, which is, treat your protagonists like shit put them through hell you are the devil and that's where you'll get the most interesting reactions out of them and so if you've got these um unassuming people who aren't necessarily equipped to be doing what they're doing then not only are they overcoming their own um their own shit but they're also overcoming the the trials and tribulations that they face within within the story as well um Mm. and so you know hercules came out the womb ready to be a hero like his mum his the milk from his mum's breast made the milky way didn't it so it's kind of he was always going to be a hero but then what about the guy that's not like hercules but then has to do the things that hercules does <laughs> um it just it makes it more interesting because also mm. in reality if anyone i know had to be a hero they would just be like oh come on I don't want to be brave. I, don't, I really don't want to do that. <laughs> I know I don't. I think on that note, we'll end it there. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 32 of the Embers Collective podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with myself telling the story of Prometheus and Mandora. Big thanks to Tim Carp for the music and Sam Ricks for the story. 
As always, make sure to give us a like on Facebook, Instagram, or whatever the social media platform you use is. And you can check out our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Please make sure to like and subscribe and share to anyone who you think would enjoy a story or two in their ears in these strange times. Thank you so much. We miss you all and can't wait to be performing live for you once again. Bye-bye.